pray that you would take the offering, that you would bless it for the expansion of your work, the expansion of your kingdom, God. And we love you so much, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. morning. We have just uh, one more piece of family business we want to do before uh, we go into the message this morning. So Nick Kane and Lindy McCullough, if you guys could make your way to the front and the rest of you could respond appropriately. Thank you. <laughs> um, as most of you know, uh, let's see, you guys can be there front and center so everyone can see. There you go. Um, Ian, our youth pastor of four years, uh, made his way to Nashville, um, so we're crying like babies in our cribs because of that. But uh, in the meantime, we've got interim youth directors, Nick Kane and Lindy McCullough. So we want to pray for them, so if you want to stand and reach out your hands, and if anyone else wants to come, other staff, elders if you want, heck, the whole church can come up if you want, just Come lay your hands on them. As I reminded um, Nick when we met, and I'll remind everyone, Lindy, you too, in front of everyone, um, interim does not mean accidental, but providential, that God has appointed and anointed you guys for this very time, and that you are exactly the people that God has ordained to lead our youth, and that what he's put in you, he wants to um, let out of you to our kids, and it is just the right time for that to happen. So, Lord, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would uh, fill Nick and Lindy with the Holy Spirit, that you would give them the confidence and the humility of Jesus, that they would see um, their, your power manifest in them, your joy manifest in them. And I just um, thank you for the lives that will be changed through their ministry, their own included. And so we commission them now in front of the body, all of us here behind you guys and the Holy Spirit in you to do the works of the kingdom, to continue the ministry of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My guess is like four or five of you probably have words for them, so if you want to give those as you go, go ahead and do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay. stand if you want. I told Kara, Holy Spirit fire, she must have heard earth, wind, and fire. Now, that was utterly and completely intentional. Um, it is September, and I, I don't know why this is, honestly. I, am, I mean, I don't listen to a whole lot of secular music. I do sometimes, but that one has been ringing through my brain for a couple of weeks. I, I can't get it out. And so, I don't know, I thought I'd play it for you. Um, to be honest, uh, September is not really the happiest month for me. And some of you might identify with this. For me, September, there, you know, the body keeps the score and the soul has a really good memory. 
And so there are things that, that, I, uh, that happened in my life around September in the school year starting that even at the age of 58 create an incredible amount of anxiety for me. And it's kind of like depression just wants to come over like a, a cloud and come down on me. Some of you can relate to that. Seasonally, you feel that. And so I wanted to start with some happy clappy music <laughs> to make everyone feel good because we're in Psalm 130 and we're headed to the pit. Um, honestly, we are um, headed to the pit, but that's okay. Some really good things have happened in the pit. Some great people of God spent significant time in the depths or in the pit. David with a lion in a pit, hiding in caves, his life threatened consistently. Moses in the desert for uh, 40 years might be considered a low point for him, the depths. Any Old Testament prophet, their life was the pit, basically. John the Baptist, uh, prison and beheading. Peter, defeat and shame. Jesus, the cross, crucifixion, death, hell. And we'll just stop there. What I take from that list, personally, as we move into Psalm 130, is that the pit, the depths, apparently, are a place of great discipleship, great formation, deep trust, and ultimately worship. That, that's what happens in the pit, in the depths. So that's where we're headed together this morning to the pit, and we're going to look for God there. And I believe that we're going to find God there. We're in this series called the Songs of Ascent, so we're looking at these 15 psalms, 120 to 134, that uh, it is said that the pilgrims would sing or recite together on their way to a three times annual uh, pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So they were headed to worship together, and these were songs that they would remember or sing or recite to sort of give them, this was the music of their journey. This was their soundtrack to worship. And so we find a lot of different uh, themes within these 15 psalms. This one would be considered a penitential psalm, not penitentiary, like you're going to, penitential, like I'm sorry. Not like I'm in jail, though that may be coming later. Not for any of you personally. In the message, there's something about that. Okay. So if you would stand, and I'm going to read. Let's read together Psalm 130. It'll be on the screens, and we will stand and read together. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So all together. Out of the depths, I cried to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this psalm, this song given to us, preserved in Scripture, written by the Holy Spirit, and, and sung for thousands of years by faithful people that belong to you. And so we sing it in our hearts this morning, and we ask that you would teach us 
you would instruct us, correct us, encourage us, empower us this morning through it. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. So I didn't really put a title on the sermon, but as I'm thinking, I think that the title of the sermon is probably what to do when you're in a pit, uh, to just make it trendy. So uh, if, if you want the, the action items of the message, this is not a complicated message. Um, uh, the words, you know, I love words. I look to, like to look at the, the underneath, the Hebrew meanings behind everything, and I love all that. I'm usually looking for something that will shock and surprise and like, oh, I bet you didn't know this. I couldn't find it. The, this psalm is pretty straightforward. It's really clear. And so I just want to deliver the message in a straightforward way. There are three points because it works out handily like that in the scripture. When you find yourself in a pit, there are at least three things to do. One is to cry out. Two is to wait for God. And three is to hope in God. So we're just going to go through the psalm and we're going to look at what it means to cry out, why we would do that and how we do that, what it looks like to wait for God, why we would wait for God when we're feeling like we're in a pit, and how we would do that, and what does it look like to hope in God, to set our hopes on all that God is and all that God wants to do, and how in the world might we do that. So, verses 1 and 2, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. That's verse 1. So when you get find yourself in a pit of some sort, what do you do? You cry out. <laughs> um, it reminds me of there's a commercial, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up, right? I mean, we, we joke about that, but some people are in that physically and spiritually. Like, I, I'm in a pit and I, I need help. You cry out. You press the button. You say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in trouble here. The implication from the, from the writer of the psalm is I'm, I'm in a dark place. I'm in a deep place from the depths. And one, I don't want to be here. And two, I can't get myself out. And three, darn, or something like that. Because I'm stuck here, and there's, there's nothing I can do. I'm in, I'm in the depths, and I'm just pointing out. So what is the pit, or what are the depths? This is one of the words I was thinking, I'm going to find some juicy Hebrew stuff under this. You know what it means? The depths. The pit. It just means like a deep place, like water or mire or muck. Basically, a place you don't want to be in and you can't get out, out of on your own. That's what a pit is. Uh, the depths, another translation of that word, is a common metaphor for suffering, for despair and depression. So the reality is most of us at some point in our lives have found ourselves in the depths, in the pit, and found ourselves needing to cry out to someone to help us. I wonder what the pit is for you. And I, I'm not, you don't all have to be there today. That's fine. We can go back to happy clappy and if you want. That's all right. Not everyone's in the pit. But all of us have been, or we can see it from where we are, either in the rearview mirror or ahead of us, or in the life of somebody around us that we really love and care for. So what's, what are the depths for you? What is the pit? Is it financial panic? 
emotional distress, depression. Maybe like me, the season comes and everyone else is looking for pumpkin spice lattes and you're just looking for the covers to put over your head because you don't want to get up and face it. Maybe it's emotional, relational stress, strain, anxiety. It could be a sense of, um, you know, I feel apart from God. I feel, I wonder if God's abandoned me. Your depths, your pit might be I'm stuck in sin and I can't get out. I don't know what to do. Maybe even that fear that God has abandoned you, though he can't. The feeling is so strong sometimes, isn't it? Maybe you've gotten a diagnosis of some sort. It's physical and debilitating or it's, it's emotional. You're struggling with your mental health and you just feel like, I don't, I've tried everything. I don't know what else to do. What do you do in a pit like that? You cry out. And real specifically, the psalmist tells us how to do it. Use your words, feel your feelings, and do it in reality. That's what I saw in the text. I cry out to you. That indicates not just like a, a feeling inside, like, but an actual cry. <laughs> Thanks. Cue the cry. <laughs> an actual cry. I need help. I mean, I, I, I believe that we find, when we find ourselves in that place, that God has somehow allowed us to be in, that he wants us to use our words, to cry out, to pray, to scream, to yell, to let our voices be heard, to cry out for mercy, to say, God, don't give me here what I deserve. That's what mercy is. God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us something that we don't deserve and never could earn. But mercy is, God, don't, don't give me what I clearly deserve and I recognize it. Pull me out of this pit. So use your words, hear my voice. Use your feelings, cry for mercy. I just want to rem remind you, you are not your feelings. You are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings. You have thoughts. You have feelings. Some are pretty oppressive. But thoughts and feelings are like weather that comes into our life. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, they don't cause some damage and occasionally lightning and stuff like that. But our thoughts and our feelings are not meant to lead us. They're, they're meant to push us to God, who is our leader. So just remember, the next time you're in the pit and you are feeling like, I feel bad, therefore I am bad. I thought something bad, therefore I'm toast on a stick, you know, or however you think of really, really bad. No, it's not true. Your thoughts and your feelings are not you. The deepest part in you is Jesus. If you've given your life to Christ, the deepest, the essence of you is Jesus himself. At your core, you are a child of the living God. Not those feelings and not those thoughts. Those are like weather that sometimes we have to bear and sometimes get us a little wet and sometimes flood our basement. But it doesn't mean we have to live in that. So use your words when you're crying out. Use your feelings. God can handle your feelings. Read the Psalms. God can handle our feelings. He knows what we feel. We might as well express it and get it out. Otherwise, guess what happens? Somebody else gets to experience our feelings, right? Someone who has tr more trouble handling our feelings. Pray for Jane. My wife, because she's got to handle my feelings sometimes. And be real. 
mean, I, th- I think that's what the psalmist is saying. Like, I was in a pit and I decided to be honest about it. God, I can't do anything. I need you. Here's how I feel about it. But, but be real about it. To, to, to deny that you're in a pit or pr- pretend like you're not there or to set up camp and live there for the rest of your lives. Both are, I'm sorry, the only word I can think is an abrogation of faith. I actually don't know what the word abrogation means, but it's what came to me. It's like a negation of faith. To say I have to be, I am the pit and I'll never get out. Or or to pretend like, no, I'm doing fine. Everything's fine. How are you doing? Just fine. Perfectly fine. No problems here in the pit. And remember that no, no matter the cause of your pitness, your pititude, or your particular situation, I could not resist it. God's not like us. That's what we remember in the pit. God's not like us. The scripture says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. The psalmist is, I mean, I think he might be saying, I'm in a pit and it's of my own doing. I sinned my way into the pit, God. I don't know how to get out. And then he remembers in the pit, in the depths. Oh, God, if you were like us and you kept track of all the sins, we'd be busted. Who could possibly stand before your holiness? But then the psalmist says, but with you, God, there is forgiveness. It's a funny way to say it, isn't it? It's just like the psalmist is saying, there's you, God, and everywhere you go, forgiveness goes. Because with you is forgiveness. And so we remember that he does not hold our sins against us. He did hold our sins against Jesus. And Jesus took each and every one. So we remember that with him is forgiveness. Because of Christ, because Jesus willingly went to the cross, he went to the darkest, deepest depths of the pit to hell itself on our behalf. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. So that from the pit, we know there's hope. We can look up. We know that God is there and we can cry out. Like um, Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, you know, Hannah who was one of the wives of Elkanah, and she didn't have any children, and the other one did. And, you know, she comes to the temple, and she's crying out. I mean, she's, she's wailing in such a way that the priest thinks she's drunk. And she says, no, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm just doing what Randy said. I'm just crying out. I'm using my words. I'm expressing my feelings. And I'm living in reality over here. And what did God do? God met Hannah in her depths and brought her out. She had a son. What did she do? She turned around and gave him back to the Lord. That's what we call a win-win. Right there in the midst of it, she went to God and God did what only God could do. So that's number one. When you find yourself in a pit, cry out. Use your words, express your feelings, and be real about it. Number two, wait. I wait for the Lord, verse 5 and 6. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. 
mean, the, the psalmist has gone from speaking to God, I cry out to you, to speaking to his own soul. Like, okay, soul, we're just going to have a little, um, we're just going to have a little memory game here. Just, let's just remember, that it's God who's going to bring us out of this deep place, out of this pit. Why do we wait for God? I'll just remind you, it's not complicated because we can't get ourselves out of the pit. We can't climb out of the depths sometimes. We can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. What a strange phrase that is anyway. I'm going to find out where that comes from. I mean, isn't that weird? If you pull up both your bootstraps, you're in midair. How does that work even? I think the point is you can't do it, right? We're dependent upon God. We wait on God because waiting is our, is our only chance, waiting on God. I was talking to Mary Ann, who is somewhere last week, and she didn't know what I was going to speak on. But at the end of the service, she came up. She said, I just realized, as God's been speaking to me. Can I tell this story? Okay. <laughs> I just realized, as God's been telling me to wait in a particular situation in her life, she said that waiting is worship. Yeah, wasn't that good? Marianne. God speaking to Marianne, revealing that sometimes when we want to take action and maybe even think we can take action and I could get out of this, you know, if I scrambled up that side of that pit, if I swam real hard, maybe I could get out of that. And when the Lord says wait, it's because waiting is worship. Waiting is God, you, and you alone. I'm, I'm dependent upon you. I trust in you. My faith is in you. Waiting is faith. And anyway, what good have our attempts been at actually getting us out of our own place of depth and despair? My personal opinion, for me, not particularly helpful. So the psalmist speaks to his own soul and says, wait. My whole being waits for the Lord. He's saying, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. Many people would see that, say that the, the, the body, um, the, the soul includes the body. With, my, with, my, with all my mind, I wait for you. I'm not going to keep scanning and try to figure this out. With all my emotions, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for you. I'm not going to cycle down into despair. With all my will, every, every bit of power that I have to choose, I'm going to choose to look up and at you rather than down and in and just wallow in my pit. I can say all this because I've been doing it for years. The wallowing and the looking up on and off. Even with my body, I think the psalmist is saying, I wait. I just am still. I'm not going to take action, God, until you show me the way of escape. I don't think that that's implying that, we're, that we do nothing when we're in difficulty. I don't think apathy is what's prescribed here. I don't, I don't think that's the point at all. But that from a still and trusting position, we lean into God. So if you picture yourself in that dark, deep place, from a still and a trusting position, knowing we can't scramble up on our own, we're leaning in, waiting for God to come down and do what only God can do extract us so maybe that's the maybe that's the picture of waiting it's leaning in 
the psalmist gives this picture of the watchman waiting for the morning. And whether this is like military watchmen looking for the bad guys or just the watchman who's waiting for the sun to rise so he can go to bed because he's been up all night. The point is the watchman has no impact on the timing of the sunrise, right? The watchman can do nothing to make the sun rise earlier. But with eagerness, like leaning in, the watchman recognizes every minute of waiting brings me closer to fulfillment. Every minute where I wait, when, I, when I'm not seeing the fulfillment yet, when I'm, when I'm hoping, when I'm longing, when I'm crying out, we're waiting knowing that every minute of waiting brings us that minute closer to fulfillment. And God knows when he's going to do that. God alone knows when he's going to do that. I think waiting and leaning is, is the picture is putting our entire weight on God. He can handle all our weight. Have you ever had the feeling maybe in your emotions or in your situation that like, I'm too much for people, they just can't handle me? <laughs> some of this, and some are going like this. We are not too much for God. He can handle us. I, I love what Sarah said as she was prophesying <laughs> into the community notes. God's not surprised or disappointed that we find ourselves in the depths again. He, he acknowledges that without him, that's where we end up. He can handle all of our weight. Jane and I had a friend um, in Pennsylvania. His name was Dennis. He passed away this last April um, at the age of 78 or 79. We knew Dennis years and years ago. I've known Dennis since I was probably 10 years old. And Dennis was single until the age of 58, never been married, longed for a spouse, longed to share his life with someone. Um, 58 years old, had, had never met anyone. And then in a strange turn of events, he meets this wild Mexican woman at a... At a this is going to be good, don't worry. At a, at a wedding of his friend in Mexico City, and a year later, Dennis and Bia get married. They were married for 22 years until he died. Three children. So here's a, here's a bachelor who lives out in the country. I'm talking the country. Picture the country. Okay? Outhouses and stuff like that. Okay? And... Um, Dennis was a do-it-yourself guy who didn't know how to do it himself. <laughs> I think it's true. I'm sorry. I'm the same, but I think it's true. And in any case, there's plenty to say about Dennis. Dennis finally met Bea, and with Bea came three wild Mexican teenagers. Three girls, 58 years old, never had a serious relationship, never been married, never had a child. All of a sudden, bam, Bea and the three wild ones. This was a glorious family. This was a glorious family. The, the love that was seen in this family, I mean, it's, it was really remarkable. Dennis was a character. He was just, I mean, literally, you know, look up the definition of piece of work. That's Dennis. <laughs> and Bea softened him over the years. And he became, I mean, one of the kindest, most gentle men that I think we've known. And uh, I remember it was before, uh, before we moved here, so 
20-some years ago, probably 25 years ago, Jane and I had Dennis over for dinner. Our little kids are running around. And at the end of the meal, I said to Dennis, Dennis, how can we pray for you? And Dennis says, I'm looking for my help meet. Meaning the King James version of my helper, the woman, right? So we prayed for that. And then I said, Dennis, you might not use the word meet so much when you're asking a woman out. I don't know if most women want to be understood as a help meet. What Dennis found, though, is the woman that God had provided for him and changed him and changed her and changed those kids and, I mean, lots of ministry that happened through them. All of that to say this, Dennis waited for God. He waited with his mind. He waited with his emotions. He waited with his will. He waited with his body. And at the age of 58, God fulfilled more and in a way that he would never have dreamed his wildest expectations and a few extras, I think. Some of us feel like that's where we are. Like we're in that place and we're waiting and we're waiting. And whether it's spouse or children or the job or the, the prophetic word that's suppo- that we think is going to be fulfilled, whatever it is. The, the instruction in the deep place is to wait on God, to lean on him, to put our whole soul into waiting because waiting is worship. Waiting is faith. Waiting brings honor to God. And finally, from the pit in the depths, we hope in God. So if in the, if in the first uh, couple verses, the psalmist is speaking to God, crying out, and then in the second to his own soul, sort of remembering what's true, then in this um, last two verses, he's speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to us. And he says this, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Cried out to God with our feelings and our words in reality. We've waited for God. We put our whole trust in Him. We allow every aspect of our being to, to be, to trust Him with His timing and what He wants to do. And then we hope in God. Why? After all those challenging things I've just said, why is it that we can hope in God? The psalmist is crystal clear about that. Two reasons. With God is love. What's the exact kind of love? Can you give that to me again? With the Lord is unfailing love. The Hebrew word is hesed. It's it's such a magnificent word that English can't render it right. We call it loving kindness. H-E-S-E-D. We, we don't know how to understand this type of covenant love that never ends and never fails and is always active. That's hesed. That's God's love for us. That's the love that we mirror and, and want to give away to other people. But it's, it's a love that begins and finds its, its formation and its, its ending in God himself. Why can we put our hope in God from the depths? Why? Because with him is unfailing love. With him is hesed, always active, always with the good of the recipient in mind. 
Hesed is that love that is, is not dependent upon the actions of the recipient. In other words, you can't get yourself unloved with Hesed love. You can't sin your way out of it. You can't reject your way out of it. You can't yell, scream, or swear your way out of it. You're stuck with it. When God sticks his love on you, this Hesed love, you got it. You're in it. He's got you, and you can't get out of it. That's why we hope in God. That's why the psalmist says we can hope in God, because with God is unfailing love. Who else cares and loves like that in our lives? And who else has the, the power, the authority, and the will to redeem us? So the psalmist says, why can we hope in God from this place that we can't get, get out of? Why do we believe that we can wait for the Lord and we'll see his goodness in the land of the living? Why? Because with God is unfailing love, and what's the other word? Full redemption. Full redemption. That, that, that's a little bit shocking when you think about your life. What does it mean that with God is full redemption? I think what it means is that there is nothing that God can and will not redeem in our lives. Or do we want to try to limit the eternal? I suppose we could do that. Let's not. What that means is that whatever has happened in your past, whether done by you or to you or through you, what you received that you shouldn't have, what you didn't receive that you should have, God is able to redeem that in its fullness. Don't ask me how that works, except I'll just point to the cross. I don't know how else that, that happens. But the promise and the reason we can hope in God is because he's going to redeem all things. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he says he's going, to, he's going to come back in his very British way. He says he's going to come back and set all things to right. In other words, everything that's disordered will find order. Everything that's out of order will come into order. Everything that's been broken will be restored. Everything in our lives. I'm not saying we get to see that redemption on this side. I don't know how all that works. But this is the God that we cry out to. This is the God that we wait for. And this is the God that we hope in. So <clears throat> Catholic writer Joseph Pieper, he says, in hoping we expect what is good for us, we exude confidence and joyous expectation." Hope is the faith that God's good is in my future. That's what hope is. Hope is the faith that, that God's good is in my future. you got to put a little uh, clause on the end of that, in God's timing. By God's will, by God's power, in God's time. Because with God is unfailing love, faithful covenant love and with God is full redemption he will redeem, rescue, ransom re deliver, release loose, let go, set free how do we do that? so how do we put our hope in God? the, the psalmist gives the gives the instruction he says I put my hope in your word we trust in the promises of God. We live as if everything that God has said is true. 
That looks wacky in the world sometimes. To live as if everything that God said in his word is actually true. It, it will look strange. It will feel strange. Awkwardness ahead. When we decide to live as if everything that God says in the word is true. And yet, I think Sarah said it in, in her prophetic community notes. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. That's your deepest reality. If you don't know what God says about you, there's a Bible here. There's a Bible there. We have them back there. I heard they're online. We'll get you a Bible. That's how you find out what's true about you, what's true about God, and how the two of you are meant to relate. Not just the written word, but the living word, Jesus himself. If you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, that is how you find out who you really are. So maybe some questions are helpful when we're thinking about what does it look like for me to hope in God? What if in any situation that felt like a pit or the depths to you, you said, what if God was here? Just what if God is here right now? What if God can handle my emotions? What if he's waiting for my cry for mercy? What if God forgives anything? What if worship is waiting right now? What if when I say, God, I want to worship you, he says, good, wait for me? What if we can lean our full weight on God? What if we were certain that God's good is in our future? That we walked in true biblical hope? What if God's love is more stubborn than my sin or pain? What if what the word says about me is true? The written word and the living word. What if what Jesus says about you is absolutely, utterly, and completely true? What if God is planning to redeem and reconcile all things in my life? What if all that's true? Then we can hope in God. For sure, we can hope in God. Now, for those of you uh, who are still angry at me for starting the message with the secular song, thus lodging it in your brains for the next millennium or so, I want to go back to the lyrics of the song. I've been, this song's been in my head, but I'm not one of those who knows the lyrics of most songs. I'm the one who, once you look at the lyrics, you think, I've been singing that out loud? That's horrible. Why did my parents let me listen to that? I'm not, <clears throat> I will not attempt to sing this. But here, here's the first lyric in that song by Earth, Wind, and Fire. <clears throat> Do you remember, someday, I can't remember which one, of September. Thanks, 21st. Looking forward to that day for sure. Listen to the next lyric. Love was changing the mind of pretenders while chasing the clouds away. I, I had no idea. It was this morning when I looked it up. I thought, this would be a fun song. I wonder what it says. Because I was afraid that you'd go and listen to it and it would be something I didn't want to be saying. Love was changing the mind of pretenders while chasing the clouds away. Maybe this is a stretch, okay. But isn't it possible that God's love changes the minds of those who pretend they can save themselves from the pit?
that pain can't touch them or that pain must just rule them? Is it possible that love both bids and empowers us to wait and to hope so that rather than just pretending our way through life, we can latch on to the love of God. We can latch on to the reality of redemption and live in truth, even if it's emotional, crying, you know, wailing truth. We can live in truth knowing that our hope is set on the eternal. God's unconditionally eternal, faithful, and healing love chases away the clouds of despair. I'm not saying there won't be clouds. I'm just saying they're not eternal clouds. The sun is eternal. That's what's eternal. And his love is, is how we get access to that type of relationship with him. Let's stand. If I could ask anyone on the ministry team just to come forward and we will pray for anyone who wants to be prayed for. Let's pray. God, we don't thank you for the pit or the depths, but we thank you in the midst of it that we can cry out to you and we can be honest. You can handle our emotions. And God, you give us the, the gift to live in reality because that's where you are. We thank you, God, for the grace to wait for you, to put our hope in your promises, to lean into you. And we thank you that God with you is unfailing love and full redemption. No one else can promise that. So God, we look to you. Come and do in our lives and through our lives what only you can do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like someone to pray for you today, maybe anything related to the message, God knows why you showed up here this morning. I'd encourage you to come forward and talk to anyone on the ministry team or if you came with someone, ask them to pray for you. Gather in groups and pray. Come kneel before the Lord in the front here if you like. However you best can respond to what God's inviting you into today. Respond. Don't go. Respond. God's doing a work. He's in our midst. You have something? Um, as Delane is sharing, please feel free to come up for ministry. We had a word this morning um, during worship, and I want to read that to you, and it fits beautifully with the message and Sarah's word. And it was, there are people here who have been sitting in darkness, and it has become a comfortable place. Your eyes have adjusted, and you can see in the dark now. However, Jesus has come to ask you if he can turn the light on. It will affect you when he does. You know, like when you're in a dark place and somebody whips open the light and you're like this. Jesus says, I know it will seem harsh and your eyes will squint. But he also says, this is for your good and for my glory. Will you give me another chance for hope? Darkness is the land of death. Light is the land of the living, just like we say, where you will see the goodness of the Lord. And just like Sarah's word, that God is not surprised that sometimes we land up and again 
in a dark place. And he's not ashamed of you, and he doesn't come in shame to say, you're in the dark again, let me turn the light on. He comes to you to say, will you let me turn the light on? And will you give me another chance to walk with you into the light? So if you'd like someone to pray for you, come on forward or pray together with someone by you. Otherwise, go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. Have a great day.